And I often joke and say, if you can count and sew a straight line, you can do foundation paper piecing. Welcome to Make and Decorate, a podcast for makers who love to sew, quilt and decorate. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Make and Decorate podcast, episode 42. I am Stephanie, your host, and today we have a great show. My guest is Juliette Vanderheiden, and she is the Tartan Kiwi, a foundation paper piecing pattern designer, and she lives in New Zealand. So that will be coming up after this first segment. So I hope everyone is doing well and busy making, sewing, and quilting to your heart's content. Uh, I've been doing as much as I can this month, and um, I have seen uh, Instagram postings of the top nine make goals for 2020. People are posting like the top nine things that they plan to make this year, and um I uh, I don't know. I haven't really ever posted a top nine anything on Instagram yet. Um, and so far, I've only really projected like my first quarter goals. <laughs> so I haven't really like taken a bird's eye view of the entire year yet. Although uh, in thinking about this for the podcast today, it did kind of make me think about it. So I kind of have a little bit better idea of uh, the goals I want to accomplish for the entire year. Uh, but for the first quarter, um First was definitely to complete the baby quilt that I had already in progress. It, it had been basted for well over a month and been was waiting to be quilted. So I did that last weekend. I quilted it. And uh, at the last second, I decided to hand bind it. <laughs> so um, I did it kind of backwards. Uh, I put the binding on the back because when you machine bind it, you typically put sew the binding to the back and wrap the binding around to the front. And on the front, you do the nice stitch, whether it's decorative or straight um, on the front side, because on the back side, it may or may not hit um, exactly, you know, the, the, the binding part. Um, so anyway, so I'm hand binding the front side. <laughs> Uh, doing my, it's not that bad actually, because the stitches are, you can barely even see them. So it's all good. Before I actually start quilting on a quilt, I always do a practice piece. And so, um, but, uh, sometimes I just do a practice piece and it's just, you know, not used for anything else. It's just like, um, muslin type fabric or whatever. But recently, I've been trying to make my practice pieces um, like reusable, uh, so that they don't go to waste. And so on this one, this practice piece, I used uh, extra fabric from the um, backing. And then I put uh, another fabric and then, you know, made the sandwich. And I did my practice, practicing motion. And afterwards, I looked at it and I thought, oh, this could be a pillow because it really, it was kind of like an oblong rectangle shape. 
And so um, I thought about doing that, but then I looked at it and I'm like, this could be two little baby doll quilts because um, my nieces love to like cover up all their little stuffed animals and dolls with blankets and everything. So this is funny. I made my sister a pin cushion and it was kind of like a large one. It was a large square. The square was probably like five inch square. So, um, <laughs> and my sister doesn't really sew that often at all. Um, she kind of got into a little phase of it, but now she's got like, you know, two very little ones and a third one on the way. But so her little toddler uh, at the time loved that little pin cushion. So she took it and it was pillows. It was a pillow for her little stuffed animals. So cute. She she was very cute with um, that little pin cushion. So this little mini quilt, she will flip over. She'll totally love it. And I made two of them, one for her and one for her little sister. So it's a great way to reuse your little practice sandwich pieces. What else? For the first quarter, I've got, um, I mentioned before, a wedding quilt that I need to make. Uh, I'm going to design and make it unless I change my mind down the road, but that's the plan right now. In fact, I was playing around with design motifs the other night, so um, I've got to get a move on with that. I've got another baby quilt to make because my sister is due in early March. So those are my top three right now. And I've got a bunch of other things um, on the list and on the back burner. Uh, and another thing to update you on, because I haven't uh, talked about this since whoa, way back in maybe like September, but I am still crocheting those hexes. <laughs> I I have to do a count because I've I've crocheted a bunch of them, but I know it's not a full like 200 yet. I probably have completed maybe 100, 125. That's my guess. But any extra time that I have in the evenings, um, I have it nearby and, and I just, you know, make another three hexes. So um, eventually that will that will definitely get done. But I kind of like it as this ongoing um, portable project and the crochet is a nice um, departure from the sewing. Uh, so I enjoy it. Um, and um, when the hexes are done, because I'm using this um, wool, what is it? Wool silk? Yeah, it's a wool silk combo. It's so soft. So I cannot wait for this to be a big, complete Afghan. All right. So let's talk about what I like to call this my lifestyle topics. And that's just kind of stuff that whatever I've watched or I'm watching um, that you could do while you sew or whatever. Um, and just like cool little tidbits here and there that I think might be useful to you. First of all, did you guys catch the series of Jeopardy, the greatest of all time? I love Jeopardy. I, it's probably a nerdy thing about me, but I, I like it. I love trying to guess the answers to the questions and it's fun. And this um, primetime special with these top three Jeopardy contestants throughout the history of Jeopardy was even at a higher level. 
And those guys answer those questions so fast. It was really fun to watch. If you have Hulu, you can still watch the series. And then on Netflix, um, I, I like binge watched this. It was Anne with an E. And it was the third and final season. Um, Anne of Green Gables was a series of books that I read as a girl. I have seen the PBS versions of Anne of Green Gables. And um, this one is the most different, but I, I really like it. And the girl that plays Anne is perfect. And she she is way over the top. <laughs> but that is what this character, how she was written. And and it's fun. And wow, where they filmed this at is I, beautiful. I don't know exactly where they filmed. It's somewhere in Canada, I think. But um, yeah, the, the um, landscape, beautiful. And then um, let me tell you a couple of YouTube channels that... Um, I, I've been watching. Oh, the first one is, um, and I have not watched this yet. It just came out and it's, I think it's about two hours long. Uh, it's long, but it's um, uh, the Fat Quarter Shop channel. And Kimberly uh, was interviewing or talking with Tula Pink. So that is in my saved to watch later. And uh, two other channels I've been watching, uh, Lorena's Quilting. Lorena is a long arm quilter and she's in Texas and uh, her YouTube channel is very good. I just discovered her very recently. So um, she she gives some tips and and um, long arm quilting and she really kind of um, gives tips to other long arm quilters that do this as a business. So if you have any interest in that, that would be a great channel to watch. And then um, if you have any interest in card making, these two channels, Jennifer McGuire Inc. and Kay Werner Designs, those are two channels I've been kind of watching here and there and getting ideas on, on card making with stamps and with watercolor painting. All right. One last thing I think you guys might be interested in is... You know how I love my Instant Pot. So, but what do you do when you have a recipe that requires two different things to be made um, that can be done in the Instant Pot? You need another one, right? <laughs> I really want to get the little three-quart one because it would be perfect for making rice and those side dishes um, that accompany the main dish. So I made this recipe, orange chicken. I will post the link to this because it turned out great. And I love this recipe. It's a healthier take on orange chicken. It's not all breaded and fried. And it is um, made in the Instant Pot. And it's a fairly quick weeknight meal, except <laughs> um, I made the rice first, emptied it, cleaned out the pot, and then started the orange chicken part of it. That took way, way too long. So I was thinking about it and I searched around for the three quart one, but it's right now it's just too expensive. It's it's $100. So I'm going to have to wait to either Prime Day or next Black Friday time when 
the prices drop dramatically. But in the meantime, I got this. um, It's really cute. It's a small and it's made by Instant Pot and it's called Zest. And it's a small little rice cooker. Um, It'll cook quinoa, other grain. It's basically like a grain cooker and it comes with a little steamer basket so you can steam vegetables. It's not a pressure cooker. So things take a lot longer in this. But I made um, another Instant Pot meal and uh, where I uh, made the rice in the rice cooker and um, it took about a half hour. So I started that first. And by the time I had completed the rest of the meal, it was all done at the same time. Really very nice. Um, And um, I got that for, it was only like $26. Um, So I highly recommend the Instant Pot Zest. Uh, So yeah, that's, oh, and uh, then the next, um, uh, on the weekend, there's an oatmeal function. So I made that. The oatmeal takes a long time. It takes 50 minutes, but it comes out very creamy, very nice. So, and it's one of those things where if you do it on the weekend, you can just dump it and go and come back in 50 minutes and you have a nice hot bowl of oatmeal. I want to take a moment to thank all of the patrons that subscribe to the Make and Decorate Patreon page. And one of the rewards is a bonus episode of the Make and Decorate podcast every month. Last week uh, was the bonus episode, and they kind of got sort of like a sneak peek of my conversation with Juliet because uh, this episode is airing a week after uh, they got their episode with additional Juliet conversation. Just a quick note about the audio quality. There is a recurring sound in the conversation that is um, Juliet's microphone. We thought we fixed it by repositioning her microphone. Sometimes microphones can pick up sounds and amplify them more on the recording than you hear them in real life. So that's what happened on this one. In editing, I tried to uh, soften the sound uh, because I couldn't get rid of it completely because then I would be deleting her speaking as well. So the conversation is generally clear and it was really a great conversation. I am beyond thrilled to introduce my guest today because I am a huge fan of her work. She is a foundation paper piecing designer and book author and she's on my show today. So welcome Juliet Vanderheiden. Uh, she's also known as the Tartan Kiwi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to have you on. And I, I'm. it still blows my mind that I'm talking to someone um, like completely all the way around the world. <laughs> Isn't it great? <laughs> it is. It's so wonderful. And and I even think that uh, you're on the next day. Like, I, th- yep. I think New Zealand's 17 hours ahead of where I'm at. And you're technically on Wednesday now, right? We are on Wednesday. <gasps> yes. See, and I'm on Tuesday. <laughs> It's crazy. All right. Well, anyway, I digress. <laughs> so, Juliet, what is your background of where you're from and, and your life before foundation paper piecing? 
Um, I was born and brought up in Edinburgh, Scotland. Um, so that's where the tartan bit of tartan kiwi comes from. Um, and I lived there until I went to university. Um, and I studied archaeology. Um, and after after my degree, didn't quite know what to do with myself. So um, didn't really have enough imagination to come up with anything else. So I applied for jobs in archaeology and I got a position in Holland, in the Netherlands. So I went over for there for six months and left after 10 years, <laughs> having had a little... <gasps> A little bit of time off for Six good behavior. Six months into 10 years. Yeah. And I married a Dutchman. It's <laughs> <laughs> all his fault. So yeah, I had some time off for good behavior. I went back to the UK and I did a master's in between, also in archaeology. And I went on an excavation in Jordan, which was great fun. Um, and then uh, archaeology was getting a bit tricky because... Um, I was a specialist by this stage and I was having to write reports, but I was working in Dutch and basically my husband would have to sit there with me in the evenings and check all, all my reports and make sure my, my grammar was correct and that I was saying what I wanted to say. And I just was aware that there was this loss of quality um, and it frustrated me. I didn't like that. Um, I kind of want to say what I want to say. and. Having that extra step in between wasn't ideal for me. So I looked into my options and um, I ended up retraining as a radiographer or medical radiation technologist, whatever you want to call it. Um, And I yeah worked at the hospital and it was an in-service training. So I worked at the hospital four days a week and went to school one day a week. Um, And it was a great way to retrain for me, for someone who... I'd already done four years at university. I didn't want to do any more, mm-hmm. but um, it allowed me to to get the level of job I wanted, um, and it was great. So I did that, and in between, my husband and I were young. We had no children. We had a decent income, so we travelled the world, um, and we went to Egypt together. We went to Canada, and we went to New Zealand. Um, when we came to New Zealand, we had a camper van for six weeks. And after three weeks, my husband said, I could live here. (laughs) And after after four weeks, he said, no, I really could. And by the way, when I went to the library to get the Lonely Planet out, they had a book on immigration right next to it. And I had a quick look and they're short of radiographers here. It's on the skills shortage list. So it's a little bit easier for us to immigrate if we want to. So what do you think? And we went home and we thought about it and we did all our research. And after a year, we moved over to New Zealand. Wow. I hear people Uh, doing that. (laughs) It's just amazing. So, you know, I've done that before of like, I could live here because when me and my husband and I went, um, you know, several trips to California, I love Northern California and like the North Pacific. And every time I never want to come back home to Chicago, I'm like, I love it out here. I could live here. And he's like, we can visit. (laughs) (laughs) But that's amazing because you guys traveled and you found a spot and ended up loving it and it's like halfway around the world it is around the world from uh what holland and scotland yeah we i think we were we were we were ready to move um Mm. again like 
even though I did all my training for radiography in Dutch. And by this time, I was pretty fluent. Everyone you asked would tell me, say I was fluent. I would say I was pretty good, but my husband <laughs> would, would say I would be, was being a perfectionist in this. Mm. Um, and But things like I was working in the angio lab and I'd be talking to patients who had a catheter in the groin. You want to make sure you're using the right word and not standing there going, um, er, er, So even though I knew my Dutch was decent, I just, again, it, it bothered me. So we were actually, before we moved, before we went to New Zealand on holiday, we'd actually started looking into going back to Scotland. Mm. Um, and I don't know, it's just... I guess it was the right time and things fell into pit place and we just loved the um, relaxed feeling that there was over here. To me, I I enjoyed my time in Holland, but it never felt like home to me. Hmm. Um, it, it just, I think language was always that small step in between, which, which bothered me, even though, as I say, I was... I was good at speaking Dutch. I didn't have any problems. I, I did a whole degree in it, so it can't have been that bad. That's quite amazing. <laughs> yeah. Don't do physics in Dutch. <laughs> physics in Dutch is not a good idea because um, they turn their numbers around the wrong way just to confuse you. But anyway. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think it's quite amazing to study in a second language um, in university for that. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. But you so, did live there for 10 years, so you had some yeah. time to learn yeah. uh, the language, right? The first, first year or two, most of my Dutch colleagues were like, why would you learn Dutch? Nobody <laughs> needs to speak Dutch. We all speak English. You'll be fine. And after about two or three years, they said, why don't you speak Dutch? You should speak Dutch. <laughs> well, you told me not to. Yeah, yeah well, you, you live here long enough. You need to start learning now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually quite difficult for a while to learn because... If you went into a shop, I would spend ages working out what I was going to say, and I'd have my sentence worked out on how to, how to, can I have the stamp, please, or whatever I was going to say. And you'd go in and speak Dutch, and they'd speak English back to you because they could hear your accent. (laughs) And I had many, many arguments with Dutch people where they were saying, yes, we're being polite. And I said, no, you're being really, really rude. It's the biggest (laughs) slap in the face. I've just spent the, the longest amount of time working out what to say. And um, <laughs> and you've just shown that you know that I'm I'm Dutch and I mean that I'm Scottish and that it's not good enough. So yeah, but I got there in there. I did learn my Dutch and uh, um, but it was always it was always there. Um, and at home, my husband he is Dutch, but he would speak English all the time with me. So. Uh, and he, he used to be able to tell when I'd phoned my dad because my accent would come back. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be like, you've spoken to your dad. <laughs> Not uh, that I have a very strong accent, but um, yeah, he could tell. <laughs> oh, wow. That is so cool. So um, so now you're in New Zealand. And when did you start quilting? Well, um We'd moved around a little bit, but we ended up in a place called Tauranga, which is in, in the north of the North Island. Um, and I was working as a radiographer and my husband was working as well. And um, then I had my daughter. Um, so I had time off work. And about that time, I started kind of 
I guess I was beginning to feel settled for the first time since I'd left Scotland. I had a place that felt like home. I had friends outside work. It wasn't just colleagues who were my friends. Um, and I started to feel a bit more settled and started. I think the first thing I did was some knitting. Um, and so I decided I, I was going to knit a, a blanket for my daughter and it's terrible, but I finished it. It's about half the size it's supposed to be because my tension was so tight. But um, I got there and I did it. And one thing led to another and I just started making little projects and doing things. Um, and then after a while, my husband got a new job, um, which was in Christchurch which is on the other island, um, so about halfway down the South Island. So we moved, which it was tough. I didn't really want to move, but I knew that it was the best thing for his for his career. And he'd followed me around for a while, so it was actually his time turn to take the lead. So um, we moved down to Christchurch. And at that stage, we made the decision that I'd stay at home with our daughter for a little while and just get us settled. and. Um, help her to find her way. We were going to be in a, a rental place to start with and just get, a, we were also going to be going back to Scotland on holidays. So there wasn't any point in rushing in to get my job, but I knew that um, I don't do very well just being stuck at home and I kind of need to see people and have people around me. But there was also that, oh, do I really have to go to play groups and meet new people? And then move house to a different area and do it again in six months time. Um, so what I did was I started a blog and I didn't tell anybody. I didn't even tell my husband. I was, re <laughs> I was really embarrassed about it, but it was, I discovered the blogging world online and I thought, well, why not? And it would have been about 2010 oh, or around about then. So there were, there was a, a very active blogging community at that stage. Um, and I started this little blog and it was kind of a mummy blog to start with. And then it morphed into a crafty blog. Um, and then I found the quilting world. And to start with, I watched from the sidelines and thought, well, those things they're making are amazing. I could never do that. Um, and then I went along, got my sewing machine out because I did own a sewing machine and went along to um, the fabric shop nearby, bought some fabric and started trying to make things. So, um, yeah, it was just uh, starting from scratch, learning from other bloggers because there was such a such a wealth of knowledge being shared online. Um, mm -hmm. So many tutorials and people were telling you how to do things, giving lots of pictures and, and explanations. And if one, one tutorial didn't make sense, you just went to the next one and tried that. Um, so, yeah, I basically kind of, I mean, I had done sewing at school, but I basically kind of taught myself because I hadn't done anything for a good 20 years or so, 30 years, whatever. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, so... Oh, yeah, that's so cool. And, you know, I think back to even because I, I, I didn't start quilting until, um, you know, my late, mid late 30s. And um, if it weren't for by that time, we did start to have some um, blogs and online tutorials and even, um, you know, things like Craftsy coming along. Yeah, I don't think that I would have become um, as 
as good of a quilter, not that I'm a great quilter, but have developed my skills to this point if it weren't for that. Because I didn't know anyone who did that. Yeah. Yeah, not at all. So that's, it's really interesting. Great. So, um, so you specialize, I think you can tell me (laughs) if I'm wrong, but foundation paper piecing. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty amazing. Uh, what what is foundation paper piecing for the listeners who may not know exactly what it is? And sometimes people get that confused with EPP, which is English paper yeah. piecing. So with foundation paper piecing, um, you start off with a bit of paper, which has a lot of lines written on it and numbers. Um, and I often joke and say, if you can count and sew a straight line, you can do foundation paper piecing. Mm-hmm. That might be oversimplifying it a little bit. (laughs) But um, basically, you start with piece one and you sew, just like you would normally sew your pieces, your quilting fabric together with two pieces of um, fabric with the right size together. You're just got it next to a bit of paper. So you sew that line, flip it over, and then you you move to the next piece. So um, straightforward in a way, but then some of the angles make it harder for people to do. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. All right. So what I wanted to ask you is, what drew you to foundation paper piecing? I guess when I, like I say, when I started, it was pretty much teaching myself and I didn't make it easy on myself. <laughs> so um, the first three blocks that I did had curves in them. I didn't know any better than people say curves are difficult. I just tried them, sewed them, and they weren't terrible. Um, And then I heard people saying, foundation paper piecing is really difficult. You need to, um, I can't do that. That's too scary. No, no, no. So Juliet jumps in with both feet and says, (laughs) well, it's a challenge. I'm going to give it a go. (laughs) So um, when I was there was somebody who was running our course online weekly tutorials on how to do it. So I thought, well, I'll give it a go. And it definitely wasn't love at first sight. I used my um, quick unput or seam ripper, whatever you like to call it, mm-hmm. an awful lot. Um, and there was a lot of frustration. Um, I think, and I, I, after a while I realized that, the way that this it had been taught in this tu- tutorial was not the only way that you can foundation paper piece and that there's actually quite a lot of variations, some of them very small, but that can make a huge difference to your enjoyment of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, the tutorial I followed was very, very precise and she cut every, every piece of fabric was cut out with a template beforehand oh, and wow. then um, which is great if you're good, <laughs> but <laughs> if you're just beginning and you get your your fabric on slightly squint, then it means a lot of unpicking. So mm-hmm. when I realised that maybe I could just cut it as a rectangle, and then and then sew it and give myself a little bit more leeway to make mistakes, um, that made a big difference. And <laughs> when I just little things along the way, and I realised that. Like I say, there are an, an awful lot of tutorials online and everyone had different ways of doing it. And some of their techniques worked for me and some of them didn't. So it really kind of was this um, test of do I like this? Don't I like this? I hadn't even realized that it was it was something 
I was particularly good at. And one of my friends said to me, you know, Juliet, this is your thing. <laughs> and I was, no, it's not. No, no, no. And then I went away, did a few more blocks. And I was, oh, maybe, maybe, maybe she's right. Maybe it is. <laughs> and um, I kind of understood the logic of it because it, there is a lot of logic involved in, in paper piecing design. You, you have your pieces that you've already sewn and you add another bit to it and add another bit. Um, and if it doesn't fit, you just make another section. So I um, began to understand it and kind of was at that, I want to give this all phase. And um, I got, I, at that time I was emailing back and forth with Christy, who is quietly. And okay. um, I said to her, I want to give this designing thing a, a go. I'm sure I, I'm sure I could do this. And she said, yeah, me too. And then a, a wee while later, she got back to me and said, have you discovered um, this program called Quilt Assistant? And I said, no. And it is um, free share data that you can get online. Okay. Um, and it allows you to um, to design foundation paper piece blocks. You could probably use it for tra traditional piecing as well, but I was using it for foundation piece piecing. And um, yeah. I thought, oh, well, I'll give it a go. And um, the f at first I did some more traditional kind of um, blocks with stars and diamonds and things like this. And I was really pleased with myself. And I was like, look, I've designed a block. And I went online. I was like, oh, she designed it before me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm not quite as original as I thought. Um, and so it's like, well, how can I make something different, something that I know that mine that I'm not going to discover somebody else has done before me. So that's when I started doing pictures. And I think the first block that I did was a kiwi oh. and a bird. Um, and it's at the time that I brought it out, because it was in that world of sharing, I said to people, um, when I when I made it available, I said, this is a free pattern and it's always going to be free and it still is free. Oh, I need to go <laughs> you just, find that. <laughs> you, just, you just need to sign up for my newsletter to get it there. There is a slight catch, but um, I said it would oh, be free. Oh, I should have it then. I, I <laughs> I'm on your newsletter. <laughs> <laughs> um, it has it has been updated since I first did it. Um mm -hmm. Um, and I've managed to get rid of some sections and improve some areas. But um, yeah, that was the very first pattern. And then the next, I think the one, there are kind of landmark blocks, the ones that um, suddenly you get noticed for. Hmm. And probably the first one of those was um, my butterfly. Hmm. Um, and it's not, it's, it's a bit wonky. I get emails from people who are very concerned every now and then saying, the wings aren't symmetrical. Are they supposed to be symmetrical? <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I drew one side and the other, then drew the other side and I hadn't quite worked out how to mirror stuff. So, um, And then over the years, I've thought about going back and correcting it. But you know what? Nature's not symmetrical. So my pattern right. is symmetrical. Yeah. So um, it may bother some quilters, but there you go. It's, it's a and that one was designed as I'd been in a quilting bee with some of the New Zealand quilters. 
Um, and we'd done three rounds and they were going to do the fourth round. And I said, look, I really can't take place. I can't do this one. It's just too much work and I'm, I'm too busy at the moment. But what I can do is do blocks for two of my friends who, and one of them requested a kiwi with, um, pink flowers. So she got a kiwi. <laughs> and the other one, I knew she was making a quilt for her daughter who was about six at the time. So I decided I was going to design a block for her. And I thought, what would little girl, a six year old little girl like? And came up with the butterfly. So I designed that block. And again, I put it up as a free block on my blog. And then a strange thing happened. These people who had never talked to me before or never, never contacted me for, for a few, quite a few of them got in touch and said, this pattern is good. You need to stop giving it away. You need to sell it, <laughs> which was kind of a <laughs> sell it. Can I sell my pattern? So, um, so I put it on Craftsy. Mm-hmm. I opened a Craftsy shop and put it on there. And, um, yeah, that was how I started. And for the longest, I think it's now been overtaken, but for the longest time, that butterfly was my best selling pattern. Oh. Um, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's a popular little one um, and it still still gets bought now so yeah yeah very good and I think um, the first time I saw one of your patterns and I didn't even realize it until after um, I had started sewing your patterns but I, I remember it and I, then I saw it on your website is the the um, umbrella with the yeah. is it a girl with the boots rain boots yeah yeah. Singing in the rain. Singing yeah. in the rain. Yeah. yeah. Someone else had had done that, and I was at like a quilt retreat, and I just thought it was like so astonishing. It was just beautiful, and it looked so complex yet happy, and it was cool. Yeah, I I, re- I still remember it to that day. You know, sometimes some things yeah. make impressions on you. Yeah. And I think the colors that she used too with her fabrics looked really cool. But yeah, so um, yeah, that oh, one I, was sorry. Oh, I would just say when I learned that it was yours, that I was like, oh, wow, <laughs> that's who designed that one. Yeah. That one was designed for a swap. Um, and um, the woman put up a, a collage of things that she liked. And one of them was a big sunflower. And I tried a flower and it looked terrible. <laughs> and um, there were several other things that just really weren't particularly me. And then she said, and I love Paris. I love Paris. Paris is wonderful. So I thought, I can do an Eiffel Tower. So I did an Eiffel Tower, but it kind of wasn't finished. It just looked a bit boring. So um, I thought, what can I do? I need something else in the foreground just to make this mini quilt for her. And I kind of wanted something whimsical, something cute, but not too cute. Something that would fit. And finally, I came up with the idea of singing in the rain, kind of. And um I never actually released the Eiffel Tower pattern. I just, it wasn't that fun to put together, but, um, I did release Singing in the Rain. And yeah, that's, that's one of those ones that very much does the rounds for, for swaps. It's very mm-hmm. popular for swaps. Mm-hmm. You, and every now and then someone will do a new version and will quilt it really well or do, um, amazing colors or something and it'll it'll go through a, a renaissance and then it'll go quiet again so it's definitely <laughs> one that that comes and goes and uh, is very mm-hmm. popular yeah oh cool it's- yeah yeah so I tried foundation paper piecing in the past 
and found it not fun, very frustrating. And I decided it wasn't for me and I never looked at it again until a couple of years ago. And you released your book, Animal Quilts. And um, I love animals. And so I um, I ordered the book and I'm going through this book and it's just, your designs are just so um, just um, compelling. And I don't know, it that, that drew me in. It drew me back into it and wanting oh, to try you. it. And, um, you know, I, I went through this whole book and you capture like some animals like are in motion, like this <laughs> owl in flight and... Um, and there's just so much like great detail in them. But so <laughs> I still like I had this and I'm going through there. And then then the other decision was, which one do I start with? Um, <laughs> but then I was still a little like, oh, I don't know. Yeah, don't um, start with those things. <laughs> but then you did a um, bird on a wire. Um, what was it? Uh what do you call it? It's not a sew along, but a uh, pattern club. Yeah, it was called a pattern club. So this hey, was hey. So I'm uh, for those listening. I'm holding up. It's this is a little bird block, uh, foundation paper piece. It's just a single bird uh, with its feet on a wire, and it's what like um, maybe it's uh, I don't know seven inches square or something like that. It comes but, in six and twelve inch. Yeah. Okay. So six inch yeah. square. And, um, and I did it. I mean, it was, I was so thrilled when I finished this. You have no idea. And then somehow your instructions, um, and the way that you logically presented it, um, just did it for me. I, I was just like, it was like, oh my gosh. Okay. Now I kind of get this. And it's not as hard. As I'm trying to make it to be. Um, but, you know, it's just that you have to take it one step at a time. And like you said, there are so many ways to do this. Because since that time, I've even learned another way um, to do it. I mean, like people will use freezer paper. They will use, um, you know, all sorts of various, you know, yeah. like techniques. But anyway, so I was really proud of myself. So then <laughs> I went back to your book. And I decided the butterfly because this was going to be for Ah, me. And the butterfly is like even part of my like logo and everything. Um, But so, yeah, I mean, this looks so I just have like a quarter of a wing done here. (laughs) Oh, that looks awesome. I mean, isn't it? It looks so impressive. Right. Yeah. It's amazing. And I think that if you just look at things and you just like you said, you start with number one. And you sew a straight line. Number two, sew a straight line. And some of the frustrations are like, you know, cutting your pieces too short and then it's like short in the block and then you have to rip it out and do another piece. Um, And then there's this whole balance of wasting a lot of fabric or not using enough fabric. And then also your the seam line, like when you stitch it, on the line, it takes up a little bit of the seam allowance and it pulls it up. So sometimes it doesn't go the full length. Yeah. <laughs> when you try to go square the block, you're like, this is short. <laughs> <laughs> so there's all that stuff to contend with that can be like kind of frustrating. But um, 
I don't know. I just, I, the other thing too, I think is composition helps because, because I love your compositions so much that it's fun. You know, it's, it's a little bit more fun for me to want to learn this technique and to do it and to get excited over it. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's something clicked and, and um, I really was happy that I, you know, was able to, you know, happen on your book and your newsletter and everything. I've been on your newsletter ever since. <laughs> <laughs> it's wonderful. And a lot of your patterns are animals. So I just, I always wonder this, how do you capture the details of these animals without overcomplicating the patterns? Because the details are there. They don't look, and not, there's nothing wrong with cartoonish, but to me, they just look like, you know, you're you're looking at this animal that is, I don't know, kind of like true to to their how they are in the wild, I guess, or I don't know if that makes but sense. <laughs> they are often based on um, photos, although. I will change up quite a bit. So um, I get the accuracy of the animal itself from the photo. Um, the, the hunted owl that you held up earlier, mm -hmm. which is a barn owl in flight, that one um, was quite accurate to the, the photo so much so that I, I referenced, referenced the photo that I used. Oh. Um, but yeah, often I, I work from photos. I've started recently to get a little bit more um, confidence in my own drawing skills. Um, and actually, while I've, I've just come back from um, the New Zealand Quilt Symposium, where one of the classes I taught was on on designing your own pattern. And one of the students asked me, is there anything that you have, have failed to design? And I said, yes, I have tried many, many times, but I cannot design a cat a cat's face I've tried it and it just doesn't work and then I got home and the stubborn part of me was like I'm going to make this work and I I think I might have I, it's going to take some time before it's available but I'm pretty sure that I've, I've worked it out now mm -hmm. um, and that cat was based on on a sketch that I did myself um, and it was there were certain of the details because I think the problem with cats is there's so much detail in their faces often. There's all the stripes and markings and things that you want to show, but by putting them in, it becomes cluttered and, um, and yeah, overdone. So step one, make the design big. <laughs> um, um, I will generally design something first and then decide what size it's going to be. So um, if it's getting really, really um lots and lots of detail then it's going to be a big block mm -hmm. and if it's something simple then it will be a small block um there's generally a reason why something is the size with me and um in the book there's some of the i think there's some of the patterns that i will say you can make this bigger but i wouldn't make it smaller or or the other way around because um just especially with something like when you're showing a full animal there's a lot of detail in the head around mm -hmm. the eyes and things like that so if you make it too small you're getting lots of really tiny bits which becomes very bulky mm -hmm. difficult to quilt not particularly nice to look at because it gets quite lumpy mm -hmm. um so i think one of the important things is scale um and yeah this cat that i'm doing now it's, it's the first big big quilt that i've done 
since the book actually. Oh wow! Um, all of the blocks since then have been um, about up to about twelve inch. Um, they've been small. I've been uh, been wimping out of all the big stuff, but this one's going to be big. <laughs> which oh is wow! Good. Fun. I'm looking forward to it. That's I'm actually for the first time. Since writing the book, I'm kind of at that. I want to do a big pattern. I've got, I've got the buzz. I'm looking forward to it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think the the things for why my patterns are are the way they are is the size. I do pay a lot. I've also structure is important to me, and mm-hmm. that's one of the things I was teaching in my class in at, at the symposium was that um, quite a, quite often I get feedback from people saying that they like the way that my patterns go together. Um, and I spent a lot of time working out where to place all the different sections and how I can get it to work. And like the pattern nerd in me is never happier than when I can get rid of a section. Or if I'm working on a big pattern, I may add a section because those big templates can get quite over- wieldy and difficult to difficult to deal with so it's it's a balancing game finding out what what works for different sizes of patterns if that makes sense yeah absolutely that that's pretty um interesting and i also noticed too like especially in your book you've got um the background paper pieced as well into like these fractured sections and the polar bear comes to my mind uh for that and there's so many like cool things that people have done and that you can do with that background. Um, So I just even think like, you know, designing that is, is a skill and that you did really well. The fractured background actually came around because of the zebra quilt, um, which um, the first zebra was designed for my daughter who was about six years old at the time. And she said, mom, can you design me a horse? And I was like, Horse. Horses are boring. Everyone's done horses. And I looked online and I could find thousands of horse blocks at that stage. And I wasn't really very inspired. And ticking away at the back of my mind had been the idea of doing a zebra. So I said to her, how about a zebra instead? Now, I should also say she's not a horse rider. She's never ridden a horse in her life. She's, <laughs> if, she, if, if it, horse riding was her passion, I would absolutely have done a horse for it. Mm-hmm. But it was just more a six-year-old saying, I want to horse. So um, I said, how about zebra? And she said, okay. So I went away and I drew up a zebra and um, I put her in front of the computer with the design software. And you can, my kids kind of at that stage used to think that EQ7 was the best coloring program in the world. <laughs> so you'd put them down and they'd like find all the fabrics and they'd spend ages working out what fabric should go where. Um, and she, I said, tell me what show me what you want and she did it and I was like well that's not gonna work because she'd had this awesome print which was a big print which she was going to put in the back and it would just all been broken up by the the seams of the pattern it it wouldn't work at all so I was like okay what can we do now so I said to her look there's my fabric stash over there go and have a look and see what you want and at that stage the zebra would have worked with an absolute minimum of two fabrics and a maximum of about six if you had a different color in the ears and the nostrils mm-hmm. and things like that. And she, bless her, chose 13, 13 fabrics and said, and mum, you need more pink and purple. So 
back to the drawing board. So that is why the zebra, zebra has the fractured background, um, mm. because she wanted all those colors in. So I went and bought some more pinks and purples and, um, that one ended up being a kind of almost like a sunset going from oranges and yellows to pinks and purples. So, um, it's yeah, all her really food. pretty and it is striking against the black and white zebra. <laughs> yeah. And again, that was another one of those landmark quilts where people stopped and, um, paid attention and, um, and it got shared lots and lots. And then suddenly you've got lot more, lots more followers. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Um, yeah, that's a very striking um, pattern too because of the fractured background. I really like that one. And that one actually, yeah, she asked for a cushion, so I did a cushion for her, mm-hmm. and then without telling her, I blew the pattern up, made it a forty-inch pattern, did a added another zebra to it so that there were two, made her a quilt and gave it to her for her <gasps> birthday. Oh, and did that she was go crazy over it. Pattern. Yeah. Uh, and she absolutely loves that quilt, but um, I have to be very careful when I take it anywhere with me now because when I w- I took it to Scotland when I went on my own to visit my dad and I did a um, talk for the Edinburgh Modern Quilt Guild while I was over, and it went missing for four days on the way there in my suitcase, and on the way back it went missing for about three days. So now if it goes anywhere, I need to ask permission. And I have to swear that it will only go my hand luggage. <laughs> yeah, like keep it, keep it on you with you <laughs> at yep. all times. Yes. So oh, that's now so scary. Known. Yeah, it's a wandering zebra now. <laughs> oh man, that's crazy. I'm so glad you got it back, though. Yeah, that was my main concern when, when the bag went missing. Was I don't care about anything else. I need to get the zebra quilt back because she mm-hmm. will kill me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah. So yeah, she's got to keep that quilt. That's that's like yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so now we're talking about fabrics. Um, in the book, you talk about choosing fabrics, but um, I I I do like the way <clears throat> how you make the subject, your composition, stand out from the background, but yet it all works together cohesively as one you know, design. Um, so what are like just some tips that you could tell about uh, choosing fabrics in that way? Um, I think playing with contrast is important. Um, working out what is going to disappear into the background and what's actually going to stand out. Um, and yeah, I don't always get it right. <laughs> There's a few quotes that I can hold up and say, that piece there, if I could change it, I really would. Um, but I think often what I will do is lay out the fact, especially if I'm working on a big quilt, um, where it's really important to get it right. Small blocks, yeah, you can make mistakes because you can remake them pretty quickly. But there's a lot of fabric goes into a 40-inch quilt. Mm. And if I'm sewing something, if I want every detail to be visible. I don't want to be piecing something in and then you can't see it or um or even that you've got um a distracting print in the background too much white mm. on a background fabric of a polar bear and suddenly your polar bear's got a lump in his back so um it's it's important to pay attention to to the colors that you're using um and I will lay the fabrics out and take a black and white photo just take a photo, put it in Instagram or whatever, and put a black and white filter over it. 
And that will often show you sometimes the strangest fabrics, the ones that you you thought that one's not a problem at all. Some of, some of them just disappear into the background. And you think, okay. And sometimes you're stubborn. You think, nah, it's fine. It's good enough. And then you get to the end, you're like, no, it really wasn't. <laughs> um, so, yeah, paying attention to contrast is important. That's a good idea. Um, I think I've heard it before, but I, I just forget it. But taking a black and white photograph of the, the fabrics you pull out and, yeah. and what kind of disappears in that black and white contrast then is a good indicator. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it will show you that if you've got a large print, it will show you that some of that print is, is um, going to be distracting. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah. I'm going to try that. Yeah. That's really cool. Right. play with it. <laughs> For sure. That's a great tip. Um, and then just getting into like some tools and notions, just basics for someone who wants to start foundation paper piecing. Um, I just want to help people because when I started foundation paper piecing, it was just like, um, yeah. you know, just grasping here and there and everywhere. Uh, so now we can kind of like streamline like you need what paper and it could be any kind I, of paper <laughs> i just use printer paper and the reason for yeah, that is uh, i live in new zealand and print and the special foundation paper piecing paper is a difficult to get and b really expensive <laughs> and if i'm doing a 50 inch pattern which has 40 pages worth of foundation <laughs> then that's going to get very expensive very quickly um so yeah, I just work with um, normal paper um, and the main things to be careful of are to make that you're sure that your stitch length is small enough mm. because you hear a lot of people complaining about tearing the papers out. And I think a lot of those people have not got their stitches small enough mm -hmm. so, <laughs> um, because and, and you don't we're talking want to like well, way below like 2.0 millimeters, right? Like 1.6 yeah, I go probably about, I've got a juki, so it's just a dial, so it's oh, not okay. very precise on me, but um, <laughs> somewhere around about 1.8, somewhere 1. like 8, there. 1.8, yeah. So kind of small enough that, um, that it perforates the paper for you, but not sm too, so small that it shreds it. Right, um, right. Finding that balance between the two is quite important. So okay. um, once I have finished a template, I then will make sure that when there's a corner, I just do a tiny little seam in the seam allowance, which will just be half an inch long, which holds your fabric in place on the template. And especially with those big fabric, big templates, the big book patterns, it stops your fabric from flopping away from the paper. And when you come to sewing the pieces together, it's all there for you. It's all exactly where you want it. So, um, oh. Wait a second. So when you come to a corner, like an ex out outer yep. corner, then you continue the seam to stitch the seam allowance about a half an inch out outside of the uh, pattern piece. Uh, I always sew into the seam allowance, extend my lines into the seam allowance. But when when the piece, piece is finished and I've got the whole thing laying flat, I will just do a tiny little seam in the seam allowance just across the cor end of the corner. Oh. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and that will just hold everything in place. And oh, especially nice. if you've got if you've got an acute angle or something, mm -hmm. it's quite easy for that fabric to slip away from the paper. Mm -hmm. And you, you might have sewn your paper perfectly, but then you realize that you've missed 
the fabric. Mm. Mm-hmm. So that just holds everything in position and it's easy to rip them out at the end. Okay. And then um, once I've once I come to sewing the pieces together, nice big basting stitches. Ah, okay. Sew your seam, check it. Yeah. Have you sewn along the, the along the printed line on both sides? Is it right on the bottom as well as on the top? Mm-hmm. And have you got those those points right that I call I call them critical joining points, the mm-hmm. bits that you're gonna see on an outline. So sometimes you can get an ugly little um notch in a seam which should be nice and smooth because Mm -hmm. things aren't quite lined up correctly right right so i'll check those things if i'm happy then i just re-sew over those stitches if i'm not happy the big basting stitches are really easy to take out and you can you can undo half seam if you need it you might have the first half perfect and the second half not so you can just undo part of it Resew with base, big basting stitches. Your paper has not been shredded. You can keep doing it three or four times. Uh, probably about about four times, and I'll be like, "Oh, this is good enough." Right. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's a great, great tip because I can tell you, <laughs> I have I have sewn pieces together with the t- smaller stitch that had to be yeah. taken out because it it's wasn't lined up. It's oh my gosh! So if if you think that it's oh that's taking extra time to do a basting yeah. stitch it's actually probably saving time in the long run because you won't have to rip out teeny tiny yeah. little stitches yeah and then once once you're happy with the seam um just rip i tend to just rip about an inch away from the ends in the seam allowance okay and that way when you once you've sewn everything together you don't get those teeny tiny little bits in right in the seams that are really difficult to get out oh. that you need so to So you rip out an inch first before you secure the seam. Ah. No, I sew the whole thing together. Yeah. Then once I'm happy, I will rip about an inch off the end of the seam allowance. Okay. And then I will sew my next piece together. And oh, so okay. that, that join... Mm. where you've got all the seams coming together you don't have a nest of fabric paper fabric paper and those really right. big thick heavy bits oh, that are right. really difficult to get out Ooh, I but, like that one. but I leave the paper especially if I'm doing the big patterns I will leave the, the paper on the seam allowance for the rest because it just kind of keeps everything together um, it does mean I need to take it out at the end but it it helps to I often leave my my blocks with the paper on it for quite a while until until I'm ready to actually quilt them or do something with them. So it just helps to keep everything okay. together. All right. Yeah, that's another good tip. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it does really it does remove a lot of bulk from all the extra paper. Yeah. Mm. And if you're doing your basting stitches and you come to sew the next seam and it's still on your big stitches, mm-hmm. check whether you re-sewed it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, I might have done that one a few times. So there's, there's a little um, alarm bell in my head that goes off if I get to the next seam and I put my thing down and it does big stitches. It's like, I've forgotten a step. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, but all these little like little tips add up to um, to having a much more pleasant experience mm. in doing this. Yeah. You know, it really like makes it nice. <laughs> When it comes to foundation paper piecing, 
teaching foundation paper piece, which I don't do that often, but when it when I do, my favorite lessons are the ones where you're t- teaching the tips and tricks. You've got the people who've done some paper piecing. Mm-hmm. They may, might not particularly like it, but if you can teach them some of these tips and tricks and you see those light bulbs going off and they're like, oh, oh, oh. Um, and you can see that you're helping them. That's, that's the best feeling. And that they might actually go on to like foundation paper piecing mm-hmm. where they did it before. That's yeah, like what me. I like. <laughs> <laughs> You know, they say never say never <laughs> or you know, be careful what you wish for because, yep, that was me. I'm never doing this again. <laughs> it's too frustrating. So, um, but now I kind of like it, you know, it's, it's fun. And you can get some really complex designs um, from paper piecing that you can't get from yeah. just regular um, piecing, patchwork piecing. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it's that's another reason. The foundation allows you to work with either really small or really big pieces mm-hmm. and to do angles that just wouldn't be possible without when you'd get warping of fabric. It just holds everything in place mm-hmm. and gives gives us stability that's necessary for um, mm-hmm. the complicated stuff. Yeah, yeah. And then... Um, we t- talked about just a teeny bit, but um, another another real frustrating thing for a lot of people is just getting that fabric the right size <laughs> to where it's not going to be too short or whatever. Um, just is there s- some little thing that you recommend? I think a lot of it is just is experience. Mm-hmm. Um, when I when I'm teaching beginners, my number one thing is don't cut it too small. <laughs> right, and in doubt, go bigger. But. but- don't make it too big either because if it's too, too big it flops around and it gets in your way and it gets yeah. confusing so um i when i first started um and i was finding my own way i um would use my my just i had a ruler which was six by 12 inch and i would lay that on top of the piece of fabric that i was using i mean the, the foundation that i was using and i would measure just a rectangle that had about a half inch clearance on all on, on all sides and sometimes that leads you to quite a big um, triangle of fabric left at the end mm-hmm. reuse it mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so um, that can be reused later on um, if you're doing a big pattern like the um, um, it's called night owl which is the big owl on the front of my book it has some very big pieces on it um, I actually would do those ones first, cut off the excess and use that excess later in the pattern. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, like I say, being in New Zealand, fabric is expensive. So mm. I don't like, I don't like to waste too much, but I also quite like my sanity where possible. Right. So, um, <laughs> I kind of, it's, it's mm-hmm. a balancing act between, um, too much and too little. And I very rarely will try and make it too tight because it's just not worth it. Right. Right. I learned that the hard way too. And <laughs> another um, thing that I absolutely love is, and I don't know if you, you probably do, but um, I use that add a quarter ruler. Yeah. Yeah. Oh I am. Um, gosh, I love that is like my favorite foundation paper piecing tool. Yeah. <laughs> I resisted for a long time. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, because, um, 
often there's things, tools that you would read about on um, on blogs and on the internet, and people would say, "Oh, this is amazing! This is amazing!" Um, and they weren't that wonderful, mm-hmm. or they'd be really expensive to get in New Zealand, or you couldn't get hold of them, or you'd have to. And so I heard people talking about them, and I was like, "I don't need one of them. I'm fine with my ruler." Um, <sighs> It's just fine. Um, and I was very stubborn and I refused to give it a go. And then um, one of the women who does um, pattern testing for me is based in New Zealand. And she said to me, I have an adequate ruler and I love it. And I thought, <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> no offense. But uh, coming from a Kiwi, it was like, oh, OK, if she's got one, then maybe this is something I should look forward, uh, look into. <laughs> so I found one and I tried it and to be honest I was determined not to like it mm-hmm. um, and I was trying to use my ruler and I kept on finding myself leaning past my old ruler which had lost the, the marking for a quarter inch because I'd used it so much when lining stuff up mm-hmm. and I was going past it to get my add a quarter and at a certain point it was like actually I need to admit that I do actually quite like this. <laughs> <laughs> against that I did um when I when I was doing the book and um I suddenly thought I'd better try out these special foundation paper piecing paper papers that are available I don't see the fuss personally Mm -hmm. I'm quite happy with my printer paper so I have tried it but it Mm -hmm. just wasn't worth it for me so I now actually give it out out to my beginner students when I'm teaching so there you go have a go (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I because th- before the quarter at a quarter ruler came out, I think people because I, I saw people like using credit cards to fold back their seams or like note cards. <laughs> yeah. oh, people still do that one. Yeah. Um, it's not the technique that I use. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've kind of finally worked out why. But it, when I'm teaching, I will teach people the way that I paper piece without mm-hmm. the um, postcard method, as people call it. Mm-hmm. And if we get to lunchtime and they're still not getting it, I'll say, right, let's try this, try you with the postcard method and see uh-huh. if it works. Sometimes it's, it's the, the difference between them getting it and not getting it. So I'm quite willing to teach people methods that don't work for me mm-hmm. um, because they will work for other people instead. Because like I say, everyone is different and mm-hmm. things that work for one person will not work for another. So. Right, right. And then do you, what about thread? Do you just use normal 50 weight uh, thread or do you like to use the thinner thread? I used used to be a complete thread heathen. I would use what was ever on, whatever (laughs) was on the machine. It didn't matter what color, I would just use it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I had a bad experience with some threads that really didn't work. Just the stitches unraveled and it wasn't very good. Um, And then I... um, I had to think about it and was like, mm, maybe I need to start looking into the right thread. And I, I'd been starting trying different things. And then I did was invited along to a quilting group in Christchurch to do an, a talk. And what the, one of the other people doing a talk that evening was the rep from Wonderful. And she showed all these different threads and she, she said uh, that and explained what they were all used for. And I thought, I'm pretty sure that's the one I want to use, but I better ask her. So I went up at the end and said, okay, what, what do we need? And she told me to use Decobop, which is the 80 weight wonderful thread. 
Mm-hmm. And I love it. And I've not gone back. So it's because it's so fine, I can easily I um, base stitches and then go over them and you still, there's no bulk from it. Um, but it's just, it makes such a difference. I had no idea how much bulk thread was actually adding to my seams. Yeah, but, I know, um, me too. It's, it, it blew my mind when right. I realized that I was like, wow. <laughs> and if, if you get to those places where there's a lot of seams joining, quite often you can find that the seams will pull away a little bit. But with the wonderful thread, because it's so fine, you just don't see it. So, yeah, I'm a big, I, I'm mm-hmm. definitely in favor of wonderful and not mm-hmm. afraid to say it. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, that's great. So, um, well, this is so wonderful. And um, I am just so glad that you've come on the show. I wanted to ask you if you're plan. well, I think I know the answer, but are you planning to keep designing foundation paper piecing patterns? And maybe another book? <laughs> uh, I don't know about a book. <laughs> that one almost killed me. I had a very short um, period of time to work on. Oh, wow. And it was a lot of work. Um, my husband and children definitely got neglected for, for the time <laughs> that that was being written. I think I had about five months to design and write the book. What? I, I had and so oh. much of those quilts. Uh, three of them were were already done by that stage, but the rest of them, oh and I goodness. tested them and did all that myself. Wow! Um, I looked at the at the construction because I knew that if I was going to be getting stuff tested, it was the construction that was the thing I wanted to check because there were editors to check for mistakes, mm-hmm. um, and I was pretty certain that a lot of my my testers are awesome. There's really great, but a lot of the time when it comes to the construction, that was my department. Mm-hmm. That's not something that I can expect a tester to. Sometimes they will say this bit doesn't go well, together well, and I will have a look and check everyone's um, drawings and uh, everyone's quilting, what they've done, and see mm-hmm. if there's a consistent mistake, then I will definitely look at redesigning that area but mm-hmm. the, the structure is is my part so um that was what was the important thing with the book so yeah. some of them the swan i think i did about four or five different swans there were a lot of versions of swans before i was happy with it yeah yeah oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah and the swan is mirrored so that that's pretty complex too i think just yeah. to uh that's what once you've got the one, then you can just flip it. That's true. That. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's not too bad. I didn't need the the complete mirror. It just, looks, just, it just looks complex when it's finished. That's that's yeah. cool. That's the cool thing about your patterns. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, this book is so well done. I love it. And you know, I don't really need another book from you anytime soon because I <laughs> I have to make all this. <laughs> you know, like when you determine when you're looking to buy a book, whether it's a recipe book or patterns, yeah. and you're like. Now, how many of these am I really going to make? And is it going to be worth it? But this is one of those books where, I mean, like I said, I had to like, you know, take a long time to determine which was the first one I was going to make. So I know I'm going to make, you know, a lot of the polar bear. I have to make that one. The swan. (laughs) um, the The Highland cow is very popular. Oh, yes. And it's so cute with the hair (laughs) going over his eyes. You did do a horse. Yes, I did. I did finally do a horse for my you daughter. Did. She's not interested at all. Oh. 
Of course. <laughs> There's other ones that she, she loves far more. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I got to finish my butterfly and um, I'll, I'll let you know when I finish it. Oh, do, please. Uh, it'll be a while, though, because it's for me. So <laughs> it always gets pushed to the back of the line. Yeah. <laughs> you know how that goes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but great. So um, I'm going to put the links to where you can be found in the show notes. But um, just real quick, where can everyone find your website? It's um, thetartankiwi.com. Thetartankiwi.com. Okay. Very good. So again, Juliet, thank you so much for coming on to my show. This was absolutely <laughs> wonderful. And uh, you have no idea how much this means to me. I'm so I'm just so pleased to be able to meet you and talk to you. Oh, that's <laughs> <amazing>. <laughs> Yay! So many great tips that Juliet gave in this episode. Um, there was also a lot of uh, challenges. I had a cold when we were recording this, so that's why my voice. Uh, was all uh, muffled and stuff, but uh, I really appreciate Juliet taking the time and really being so generous with those foundation paper piecing tips. Until next time, happy quilting, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Make and Decorate podcast. The podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Stephanie Socha. Until next time, have a great day. Bye.